So I have a question for you. Have you ever felt like giving up? I mean, that's a pretty, pretty obvious answer for everyone. At certain seasons of our life, a lot of us have felt like giving up. And I mean, I, I think of times whenever I'm on the golf course and I'm really struggling and I feel like throwing my clubs because this is just not working. And the last time I played, I did really well. And so what happened between the last time and this time? I lost it all. And that's the struggle of all, of all non-professional golfers. You know, professional golfers, when they struggle, they're still a hundred times better than I am. And that's really discouraging for me. <laughs> but we have felt like we wanted to give up in many different areas a lot more serious than, than playing golf. We've, some of you have felt like giving up on life. You've been overwhelmed. Life circumstances have been beat, have beat you down and you're overwhelmed and you're struggling and you're discouraged and you have just felt like, I just can't do this anymore. And that is a, a very common experience that we all have as human beings because life is difficult. Life is not easy. We face challenges every, every single day. There's an opportunity to face a, a different challenge. And so the enemy... He seeks to try to take advantage of that weakness that we have, that that tendency that we all have to lose faith, to say, where is God? To ask the question, God, where are you? Why are you not here? Why have you not answered my prayer? Why have you not come and intervened? I thought you would have come sooner. I've been praying about this for, for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Where are you, God? And we can, tempt, we can be tempted by the enemy to just give up, to stop praying, to stop pursuing, to not be persistent in prayer, and to just say, you know what? Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Que sera, sera. And you know what? That's not the life of faith. That is not the life that God's called us to live as Christians. We're not called to live a que sera, sera life. Whatever will be, will be. We're called to live a life of faith and trust in a in a good God, a God that is our Father that cares for us, that loves us. That's the life of faith that we're called to live. There's a man named George Mueller. He was a Christian evangelist and a director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. And in his lifetime, he cared for over 10,000, or he cared for 10,024 orphans in his life. So he was a very famous Christian evangelist. And so he wrote in his diary, very extensive diaries. And this is one of his, his uh, days that he wrote in November of 1844. This is what he said. I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thank God and I prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second, and I prayed on for the other three. Day after day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three, and I went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. So he had five friends. He was praying for their salvation, Three of them got saved. The other two did not. And as, and as it goes, he spent the next 52 years, he spent 52 years praying for those two men to, to be saved. And he never lived to see them converted. Two years after his death, both of the men 
came to know Jesus Christ. Both of the men came to know Jesus Christ. And this is, this is what he wrote. He says, later on, he says, but I hope in God. I pray on and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. But they will be. And he persistently continued to pray. He did not give up. He did not lose hope. And he didn't give in to the temptation. You know, think, day after day, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 52 years, he, he's still every day consistently praying for these last two to be saved. He passes away. Did God stop being faithful all those years? Was God still faithful? God was faithful that even after his death, these two men were converted to Jesus Christ. God is faithful. And this is the story that we see. This is the idea that we're going to look at in Luke 18. You know, parables, parables are, are made-up stories, hypothetical stories that paint a picture of something that could happen in real life. And so Jesus is painting a picture for his listeners about a scenario that could happen but did not happen, but they would understand the significance of what he was saying because he was using real-life examples. He was using examples that would have made sense in their world and in their life to illustrate this point that he was trying to make. And so let, let's, let's, look at, let's look at Luke 18, verse 1. And, this, and Jesus, again, I think there was the parable of the sower of uh, the sower and the seed where we got the explanation of the parable. Well, we have the meaning of the parable before we get to the parable. Luke 18.1 says this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. So that's the point of, of this message. I give you the point of my message before we get into the heart of the message. There's two main points. We ought always to pray and not give up and not lose heart. And so that's at the outset of this parable, before we read it, this is what we're going to be talking about, about persistence in prayer and about not giving up. So now let, let's, let's look at the parable. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward, this judge said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? And so here's what we want to do. That's the parable. We know the point of the, of the parable he's trying to make, which is that we should always pray and not lose heart. But what about the characters? Who are the characters? There's two main characters in the parable. There's a judge and there is the persistent widow. So let's talk about who the, who the judge is. You know, there, there is three different types of court systems, judge, judges in in. Um, in Jewish times, there was two of them, the greater Sanhedrin and the lesser Sanhedrin. And those two were court systems that would deal with the interpretation of the Old Testament law. And so these, these, these judges in the greater Sanhedrin and lesser Sanhedrin wouldn't deal with civil matters. And this widow, her issue was, was that she had been taken advantage of 
by somebody else. It doesn't say who took advantage of her. It just says that somebody has taken advantage of her. She has, an, she has an adversary. And so she is pleading her case against this adversary. And so the greater Sanhedrin and the lesser Sanhedrin, they were made up of Jewish men who understood the law of God and would rule on cases that had to do with the interpretation of the Old Testament law and the oral traditions that were, that were passed down. So this judge would not have been one of those two judges from those two courts. It would have been another court that was called the magistrate courts. And th- that court system was established by Rome. And Rome, to try to deal with the issues of the Jewish people on a civil level, they would send men who were Gentiles, non-Jews, and most of them did not fear God like Jesus described this judge as. And they would send them to deal with the cases of the civil matters of the, of the Jewish people. And so the Jews, we all know, if, 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 you, if you study scripture, you know that Jews hated tax collectors, right? Because the tax collectors would take advantage of the, of the Jewish people. These tax collectors would come for Rome, take, would, would be Jews that would collect taxes for Rome, and then they would double tax their own people and pocket the difference. And so they hated tax collectors. But they hated these, these, uh, these other magistrate judges just as much because they were, they, they were mostly Gentiles. They were non-Jews, non-believers. And, and so this man was especially wicked. He says it. He says it. Jesus says it about him. And then in the made-up story, he says that the judge says about himself, I don't fear God and I don't like men. I don't respect them. So that's who the judge is. He's a bad dude. Jesus, Jesus does that very often. A lot of the stories that he tells, he really highlights especially wicked people because he's trying to make some points out of what he's doing there. So, so, so that's, the, that's, that, that's the judge. Second character is this widow. So I think that what we need to understand about this widow is that in, in Jewish times, women were not allowed in the court. Women did not go to the court. This was a very male chauvinistic culture. For the most part, it still is. But back then, it really was. And women did not get to go into the court at all. That that was a place for men. And so the fact that this woman is before a magistrate judge pleading her case, it tells us some things. That if there would have been a widow who had a case to plead, somebody, she had an adversary, she would have had to have had another man, a close of kin, to come and plead her case for her, like a son or like an uncle, a brother, a grandfather, some other man that was related to her would have had to have come to plead her case for her. But the story says she went and pleaded her case. So what does that tell us? It tells us she is completely destitute. She is in poverty. She has no one to provide for her. She has no one to take care of her. And in that system, there was a real system set in place by Jewish law to care for widows to care for the widows and the orphans and those who could not take care of themselves. God cares about the widows and the orphans, and he set up a system to care for them. And this woman had nobody. So you have an evil judge full of evil and hatred in his heart. More than likely, he's a Gentile, and he doesn't like, doesn't like the Jews. He doesn't like that Rome sent him to deal with the issues of these Jews. And then you have this widow who's completely destitute, no hope, no help, and she comes day after day, pleading her case. He's, she's bothering this judge, bothering this judge. Give me help. 
I, I have no hope. This guy is taking advantage of, this person taking advantage of me. He is, he is, he is, he's my adversary. I need help and support. And it says that, that the judge would not listen day after day, day after day. And so, as we said earlier, that's the, the meaning of the parable is in verse 1. Those are the characters. Now, the lesson is clear that we should continue to pray and not lose heart. And so that's, that's the general lesson of this parable is that the, the widow is, is like us. We experience difficulties in life. And challenges in life. And the temptation is, is once we pursue God and we, and, and we start praying, if we don't see the answers, we can be tempted to give up and to not persist. So that, that's the immediate uh, application for us is that we need to not give up. We need to persist in prayer and not lose heart. But I believe there are three le- other lessons that I feel like the Lord laid on my heart that, that, that are in this text that point to some, some, some deeper things for us to look at here. And so this is what we're going to do. We're, we're, we're going to keep in mind those first two lessons, and they're going to be woven throughout this entire message. We're going to look at three other lessons that I feel like the Lord wants us to learn through this parable. The first one is this. Evil will seek to drown out your faith. Evil will seek to drown out your faith. Let's look back at that text in Luke 18, verse 2 through 4. says, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Verse 4 says, for a while he refused. An evil judge did not fear God, did not respect man. And this lady kept coming to him, pleading her case, and he had no compassion. He gave no help. He said, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to help you. He refused. He refused. She, she kept coming. He refused. And I just want to tell you, That evil in this world, like this evil judge, comes in many different forms. Evil in this world will seek to drown out your faith. Will seek to squelch your faith. Will seek to to encourage you to give up hope and to not persist like this widow. To not persist to pursue a faithful God. You know, the, the context of this parable, we can't ignore the context. The context is Luke 17. And in in Luke 17, right before we get to Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Son of Man. And he makes this statement in Luke 17. Let's look at 24 through 27. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to, to, to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. There will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And then he goes and he tells this parable about the persistent widow. And the lesson he's trying to give us as his disciples is that we live in evil times, just like in the days of Noah. What was it like in, in the days of Noah? Let, let, let's look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Don't you feel like that about our culture right now? You know, there were only eight people, eight people that were righteous, that made it into the ark. Only eight people of all the 
humans on the earth were righteous and made it to the ark. Everyone else was Genesis 6, 5. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes in our culture, in America and around the world? You can be feeling encouraged about life and then you go, you read through your news feed and you just, you get done and you're like, oh my goodness, I got to get away from this. Somebody's killing somebody here and murdering somebody there and there's, and there's, there's pain and suffering all over the world and it's just the effects of evil everywhere. The effects of evil are everywhere. The effects of the fall of man are everywhere. Evil and sin and perverseness. It's everywhere. And it seeks to squeeze out your faith. It seeks to make you feel overwhelmed. It seeks you to ask the question, God, where are you? Why is there not justice for the unborn? Why is there not justice for those that are sold into, into sex slavery and trafficking? Where are you, God? The evil in our world is pervasive. It is continual. It is progressive. Just when you think you've heard the worst possible form of evil and sin, something new comes across your newsfeed. Just like this godless judge in Luke 18, the evil in our culture, the difficulties of life, the ridicule from non-believers, the unexpected di- diagnosis, all work together to try and push us towards prayerlessness. To try and pu- push us towards, you know what? Kesara sarah. Let the world burn. Doesn't matter. God's not in control. Just going to give up. Just going to be in my life and in my little corner with my family. We love Jesus. We know Jesus. We're okay. The world's just going to burn. And the world is burning. It's on fire. Sin is wreaking its havoc. The effects of sin are wreaking its havoc on our world, in our families, in our communities. And Jesus is telling his disciples then, and he's telling us now, I want you to always pray and not lose heart. Always pray. Consistently pray. Persist in prayer. Don't give up. Don't, don't, don't let the devil think he's won. The devil is already, is already defeated. He is a defeated foe in your life. He always has been, and he always will be. He takes different forms, he takes different shapes, and he tries to come in and squeeze out your trust and your hope and your confidence in a faithful God. God will bring justice. And God will bring an end to the tyranny of Satan in this earth and around the world. There will be a day where he says time will be no more. It's coming. And we ought not to lose heart. And we ought to pray continually it can be easy to just get sucked into the world's way of thinking and i think this is another temptation for us in this evil culture this evil culture that we live in is just just to be numb just kind of get sucked into the flow get sucked into the facebook world the twitter world the instagram world the sports world entertainment world just just become numb to life Become numb to the reality that this life of faith is real. Real heaven. Real hell. Real demons. Real angels. Real God. And we can just become numb to it all. Because evil seeks to suck that out of us. Suck that genuineness of our faith. That love for Christ. That love for others. You know, I think that's one of the greatest challenges for us as Christians. For myself. 
for all of us, is just to think life really doesn't matter very much. You know, it's not that big a deal. You live, you accumulate money, you go on vacations, you save up for retirement, then you die. Yeah, and I get to go to heaven because I made Jesus my Lord. Life is so much more significant than that, right? Do you believe that? So much more significant than that. You have, you have so much more significance than that. You're not just here to take up space. You're not just here to breathe oxygen. You're here to have meaning and purpose. Your life of faith is meant to bring glory to God. Your life of faith is not just meant to make it through the day, make it through the week, make it through your troubles. Your life of faith is meant for you to make an impact in the lives of those who are deceived and lost and on their way to destruction and judgment. But evil in this world, in this life, in our culture, wants to suck out, drown out our faith. That's a very powerful lesson. We should never forget that. Secondly, second lesson is this. Persistent prayer is the foundation of the life of faith. Persistent prayer is the foundation of the life of faith. Let's look back at the text, Luke 18, 3 and 5. It says this, and, and there was a widow. So you got the evil judge, and now you have the widow in that city who kept coming, kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Verse 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You know that phrase, kept coming? In the original languages, it literally means black under the eye. And that's why in verse 5 it says, so that she will not beat me down. This lady is standing against this evil that's trying to squelch her out, drown out her faith, drown out her persistence. And he's trying to squelch it, drown it out. And she's like, come on. She's giving him a black eye, hitting him, hitting him under the eye, not literally, but just persisting and bothering and begging and pleading and not allowing his indifference and his evil heart to sway her to do anything differently. That's our calling. That's what we're called to do. You know what, devil? You can do whatever you want to do. You can come at me any way you want to come at me. I am not going to give up. I am not going to believe the lie that God is not faithful. I am not going to believe the lie that God will never bring justice. I am not going to believe the the lie that God's forgotten me. I'm going to persist. I'm going to push. We we, we went on vacation. We weren't here last Sunday because we were um, in Orange Beach, uh, Alabama. And so we were at at this pool that had a lazy river, had a slide in a lazy river and on the, on the slide, it was a nice slide, and Reagan, my almost three-year-old, she must have went 50 times on that slide. Every time she'd come down the slide, she'd hit the water, and I had to go with her, so I went about 50 times. She'd hit the water, she'd pop up, she had her floaties on, and she'd say, let's do it again. And so, okay, let's go up there and go down the slide. And so, at one point, I'm trying to get away from her and let the kids have her to go up the slide. So I start going down the lazy river. Have you ever been in lazy rivers that are a little too lazy? Right? That's ridiculous. 
A lazy river that's too lazy, you got to sit in a tube and you got to like work it. You're like, that's not what a lazy river is. A lazy river is something that you want to be lazy in and just relax and go around. Well, this was not a lazy, lazy river. This had a strong current. I mean, it really did. And so I leave Reagan. She's with the kids. And I noticed that Reagan, she's running and jumping off the edge of the pool outside of the, the, the lazy river and jumping into people. She has no fear. I'm, it's so amazing. I wish I had a video to show you. She has no fear. She doesn't know she can't swim. She has these floaties on. And she just goes and she puts her arms back and she runs and she jumps and goes all the way under. And she loves it. But she was hitting people when she was jumping in. So all of a sudden, like, i got to go stop her from abusing these people. And so I start trying to go upstream. And it is very, I underestimated how hard it is. I'm not a very big guy as it is. And so you get this current coming at me. And I'm just like, this was really difficult. And I finally made it to her. I was persistent. And I didn't give up. And I got to her and I fussed her and told her to quit jumping in. And she didn't listen. <laughs> but, the, but the point of my story is this. Is that it's much easier in an evil culture whenever evil is just, is just beating us down everywhere we look just to get in the inner tube and just to go. Just not push against it. To not stand in faith. To not persist. To not say no. No, that's not right. And I'm going to continue to trust God. No, I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to persist. I'm going to push. I'm not going to give in to the temptation just to be nominal. Just to be lukewarm. Just to be passive. I'm going to go against the current. There's a strong current in our world today that's anti-Christian. And it is not going to be easy as we move forward in our world today to be a Christian. It's going to be increasingly difficult. And you are going to have to go upstream. If you want to be effective in your life for Christ, you will have to go upstream. You will have to make a decision to be like this persistent widow and say, no, I will not allow evil and evil men and evil belief systems to overcome my faith because my faith is not in, is, is, is not in man. My faith is in a faithful God. It's not easy to go against the flow. It takes persistence. It's much easier just to sit in the tube and float along. You know, I, I want to talk about prayer for a moment we're called to persist in prayer, but let, let's see what Scripture says about that. Romans 12, 9 through 12 says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that powerful? That's our job. Outdo each other in showing honor. What a great responsibility we have as, a, as the body of Christ. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Does that language talk about pushing against the flow? Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 16 through 19 says this. In all circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can ex extinguish all the flaming darts of the, of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance and persistence. Making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that the words 
may be given me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. First Thessalonians, another section, 5, 16 through 18, says this. Rejoice always. You guys getting that picture here? Pray always. Persevere. Push. Be consistent. Don't be slothful. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Wow. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Many of you want to know what God's will is? That's the will of God. To pray without ceasing. To give thanks in all circumstances. How do you pray without ceasing? Does it mean that you literally pray nonstop 24 hours a day? I, I guess that's possible. If you can pray while you're eating, you know, you got to constantly pray. I mean, somebody probably could do that. But I don't think that's what that scripture is meaning. I think what it means is, is that you, you, you do nothing without prayer. You pray constantly. You pray about everything. You pray without ceasing. You position your life in a posture of prayer. Every decision you make, every move that you, that you take, your interactions with people, you're praying under your breath. You're muttering a prayer for them. You're praying without ceasing. But how are we to pray? So we're called to be persistent in prayer. That's the big lesson of, of, of this uh, parable. How are we to pray? So we're called to pray without ceasing. Did God give us a model of prayer? You guys following me? Gave us a model of prayer? Where's that model at? It's a Bible quiz time. Sunday school. Where's it at? Matthew. All right. Matthew 6. I I heard it here, there. This is the spiritual sections right here. (laughs) Matthew 6. We're going to read this section because I think it's so good. I like to read scripture. So we're going to read some scripture. Matthew 6, 5 through 13. So here's how how are we to pray? When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, at the street corners. They want to be seen by everybody. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites. For your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Here's the model prayer. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. What's the first part of of that prayer? First of all it says our father. We're coming to a father. Our Abba. The next phrase says this. Hallowed be your name. If you want to know if you're praying right. Examine your heart and your prayer to see if it's God exalting. Our Father, we know that we can come to our Father who is loving and faithful and kind and generous and full of mercy and grace. But we come with hallowed be your name. So how are we to persist, to persist in prayer? Are we just nagging God? Was this, was, was, was this, was this widow just nagging God? Is that how we pray? We're, we're nagging God to get him to do what we want him to do? Like he's a genie in the bottle? No. 
we come to God, we say, we say, Father, you've given me the ability to come to you as Father, but hallowed be your name. I humble myself to your will. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So if you, if you want to know how to pray and what to pray, that's what you pray. In all the circumstances of your life, you pray like that. You say, Father, I come to you because you've made a way for me to come to you, but I'm surrendering my will. I'm giving you worship in this prayer because you're in control, you're sovereign, you're God, I'm not. So we're to persist in prayer, but that's how we pray. Hallowed be your name. The foundation of all God-pleasing prayer is the exaltation of Christ and for his will to be done in our lives and on the earth. So this persistent prayer that we give, it's the foundation of that, of all God-pleasing prayer, is that it would be Christ-exalting. Third, third lesson we see in this, first one is, is that evil wants to try to suck out our faith, drown out our faith. And, and secondly, we're called to persist in prayer. That is the life of faith, to persistently pray for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done in, in our life and in the life of this world that is so full of evil and sin. We're to pray consistently for that. And thirdly, our faith is in a faithful God. Our faith is in a faithful God. Let's look at Luke, go back to the text, Luke 18, 6 through 8. Our faith is in a faithful God. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And he, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So what is Jesus saying there? He's referencing back to what the evil judge said. What did he say? She keeps bothering me. So out of selfish motives, I'm going to give in to her. And he said, if that's what he did, he's using a, a, a comparison there. He's saying, if this is what this unrighteous judge did, how much more will your heavenly father, will God give justice to his children? That sounds, that sounds like Luke 11. Let's look at what, what that says. Luke 11, 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will, in, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Well, if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's comparing himself to the evil judge. You know, I've heard messages where people try to say that God is the evil judge. He represents the judge who represents God. That is not the case. This judge is said to be evil and not fearing God and not respecting man. That is not God. That is not God. God is completely opposite of this unrighteous judge. He's faithful. He's good. He's righteous. And he is worthy that we would trust him and persist in our prayers and not give up and not lose heart. Our faith is in a faithful God. You know, and when we persist in trusting God and loving God and serving him, you know, there's going to be scoffers that are going to come in your life. And they, they're going to ridicule you and they're going to mock you for your trust of God. As you stand against the evil of this culture, they're going to mock you and they're going to tell you, where's your God? Where is he at? Why is he not faithful? Why didn't he heal you there? And why, why, why are you still out of a job? And, and why, why is this happening? Why is that? Where is God? I thought you said, in, I thought you said it in the Bible, it says God's coming back one day. Where, where is he at? It's been over 2,000 years. Where is God? Where is this promise? 
That's what it says in Second Peter. This is what Peter says. He says, this is not a second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, speaking to us as Christians. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. This is what they're going to say. Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were in the beginning of creation. You know, that's what I, I believe people, a lot of people that don't believe in God, I think that, that that's what their hang-up is. They're like, so it's, it's wrong to commit sin and do things that displease God? I'm doing them and I wake up the next day. There's no judgment. There's no instant judgment. And so they think, well, it can't be a big deal. I do this sin and I live like this in rebellion against God. And I think even some people who call themselves Christians think that way. They think, well, hey, I can, I can live in sin. It really doesn't matter. I, I, I wake up the next day and there's no judgment. Scoffers are going to say that in the last days. They're, they're going to say, where, where is your God? Where is his faithfulness? But our faith is in a faithful God. Why does God, why does God tarry? Why does he wait? Why does he wait to bring judgment? To give us mercy, to give us time. Second Peter, continuing on with what we just read. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. As we count that slow, right? Two thousand years, that's pretty slow, Lord. Where are you? But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So God tarries so that we can get busy in the Great Commission. And the enemy seeks... To keep us from the Great Commission. By getting us to, 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 to minimize our faith and to not persist in prayer. Do you guys see that? God waits and tarries. And we have the temptation to get frustrated and ask, why God, oh why God, where are you? And that's the tactic of the enemy to get us to drown out our faith so that we're not busy about the whole reason why God is waiting. God is tarrying for you. You're an evangelist. You didn't know that, did you? You are an evangelist. You are gifted. You you are gifted and called by God to shine the light of the gospel in your everyday life. I'm not called to be an evangelist. You know, my, my primary job is to be a pastor, right? My job is not for you to go out and get all the sinful people to come in here so I can preach the gospel to them. We can do that. That can happen. My job is to shepherd you to maturity and faith so you will see yourself and know yourself as an evangelist in your world so you can preach the gospel. And the enemy wants to distract you from that. He wants to get your mind completely off of that to think that God's not faithful. He's tearing, he's waiting. Where are you, God? He wants to get you to, to look at your life circumstances and to believe that God's not faithful, he's not good. You, and you become passive. God will bring justice. 
I want to conclude with this. This is revelation. You know, asking that question, have you ever been tempted to give up? As I, as, as I introduced the message, I think we've all been tempted to give up. And I'm just here to, re- to remind you this morning that God is faithful. That our faith is in a faithful God. And when we persist in prayers, that pr- those prayers do not just go up to the clouds and fall down. Have you ever wondered what happens to those prayers? What, what, what happens to the prayers of the saints? Millions and millions and millions of prayers over 2,000 plus years of the saints that have been crying out to God, praying like it says in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven, praying Christ-exalting prayers. What has happened to those prayers? Well, we know what has happened. In Revelation 8, 1 through 5, this is what, has, this is what is happening to your prayers, those Christ-exalting prayers that are praying for God's kingdom to come. Here's what happens to them. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven, for about half an hour. Do you, do you know why there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour? It's just speculation on my part. But when the seal was open, I believe that what was written in there was the magnitude of the judgments that were about to unfold on humanity. And it was the awe of God's mercy and holiness about to be put on display. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense... With, with the prayers of the saints. So they came together, the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and he threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So what's, what's going on there? What's this picture? I read a commentary from desiringgod.org that I think really sums it up very well. The utterly astonishing thing about this text is that it portrays the prayers of the saints as the instrument God uses to usher in the end of the world with great divine judgments. It pictures the prayers of the saints accumulating on the altar before the throne of God until the appointed time when they are taken up like fire from the altar and thrown down upon the earth to bring about the consummation of God's kingdom. In other words, what we have in this text is an explanation of what has happened to the millions upon millions of prayers over the last 2,000 years as the saints have cried out again and again, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Not one of these prayers prayed in faith has been ignored. Not one is lost or forgotten. Not one has been ineffectual or pointless. They have all been gathering on the altar before the throne of God. Not one God-exalting prayer has ever been in vain. Amen? Not one God-exalting prayer has ever been in vain. Won't you stand with me? And that's my encouragement to all of us to not stop praying. That's the, that's the point of this message. 
is that we should not give up. We should not allow the evil in our life, the evil in this culture, the evil in this world to squeeze out our faith. But we should stand in persistent faith and pray to a good God. Pray to our Father in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. And we should persist day after day. God, let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done in my family. Let your will be done in my community, in my church, in this world. Your kingdom come. Let Christ be exalted, God. And all of those prayers, those persistent prayers to a faithful God who hears, who knows, who is waiting in his mercy, they're accumulating. They're building up. And God will bring justice. God will make things right. Lord, I pray that we would persevere. That we would not give up. As you said in the parable. That we would not lose heart, but that we would pray. Lord, I pray for those here this morning that maybe feel like losing heart. They have lost heart and they're overwhelmed. God, I pray for them right now. If that's you, if that's you, if you're overwhelmed right now, I I want us to do some body ministry. If that's you, you feel overwhelmed in your heart right now. You're here and you feel like life is crushing, pressing down on you. I I want you to be bold and slip, slip up your hands. Look around. If somebody next to you raised their hand, I want you to lay hands on them. Just look around at those that, that, that are, have raised their hand. If there's somebody next to you that raised their hand, if you can't reach them, turn and point your hands towards them. We're going to pray for them. If you feel like life is pressing down on you and you feel like giving up, just raise your hand. We want to pray for you as a body of, 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 of believers. Just raise your hand. Lord, we stretch our hands out and we lay hands on those here this morning that are struggling, that are overwhelmed. Don't give up. Persevere in the name of Jesus. Stand in the, in the mercy of God and the strength of God. Lord, I pray that they would remember your faithfulness, that you have heard their cries and you hear their pleas and their petitions. God, we pray that they would not give up, that they would turn to you in their time of need. Lord, you know exactly where they are, exactly what they're going through. And I pray that you would comfort them, remind them that you love them, that you're there with them every step of the way. They are not alone. In Jesus' name. This is what I want us to do in closing. We're, 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 we're going to sing this song, the song we sung, last song that we sung. I just want us to, to just to sing together. You, you are not dismissed yet. Stay, stay, stay with me. Let's sing together. There's something beautiful about singing together to our great God.
above all names. persist in prayer because you are faithful and you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone shouts, Amen!
Jesus' blood and died.